Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Are you ready for the news with a side of bell pepper? Seriously, what the f are you doing? It's time for Trend Lightly. No, God, please, no, no! With America's sweetheart, with America's sweetheart. Oh my God! The Queen, the of, Queen Glendale. of Glendale. Glendale. Who are you? The Irish American tornado. Surprise, motherfucker. Molly McAleer. Molly McAleer. Welcome back to Trend Lightly. I'm Molly, and today I'm joined by my co-host every week, Tiffany. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> Bad news, everyone. Tiffany has COVID. Finally, it got me. Finally, it got me. I knew that at some point I was going to get it at some point. I didn't think it would be now, and I don't like it, and I I don't think anyone should have it. Okay, that's my review. <laughs> that's your review of COVID? Okay. Yeah. That's, I think, a pretty hot take. I <laughs> I knew, I know it's like raging in your country right now, but oh, yeah. it, for yeah. our regular listeners might not realize that your husband, who's you are actually very legally married to, despite my imagination, <laughs> he is visiting you from the States and- you guys are now you you're getting an extra three weeks because he got sick first. Yeah, it was it was kind of weird because we didn't realize he didn't have to have any tests when he came in, and he, we were just like we're both jabbed. I'm you know jabbed and boosted, double double triple you know whammy. No, there was nothing. There was like nothing. No checks, no balances on the way in. They're like a couple of days before he was due to fly home. He got a message that was like, "Oh, you should you need to you need to show a negative test." So we did a lateral flow test and then, you know, it's just one of the ones you can get, like get at home. And he took it to the airport and he like presented it to the desk lady. And she like reacted like, why the fuck are you giving me this biohazard? Because <laughs> she like, he literally gave her like the test. I was like, oh no, you don't do that anyway. And she was like, no, you need um, negative results. We're like, okay, cool. But he'd been feeling a little bit like fevery, but he hadn't, but it wasn't very extreme. So we didn't think it was COVID. So we went to a testing center and got tested. Then we went for lunch and then we came back and we were like, okay, fine. You're staying for an extra day. We'll just rebook your flight for tomorrow. And then he got the message that was like, no, you've got COVID. And I was like, shit. Yeah. Oh, honey, I'm sorry that you're sick. I'm sorry that you got it. I mean, you seem to have a pretty good attitude about it. I was like so bummed for you when you came on mic I was like oh shit I think she has it too <laughs> yeah. but yeah, yeah I was okay a little text story here this actually might fit into our show I was in an uber on Friday and for those of you who don't know I live in Los Angeles which has been really strict the entire time pretty much with COVID like it's even a little loosey-goosey around here for some people, but it's actually, like, not. Like, you still have to wear your mask in the grocery store. Like, I mean, anything past, like, you know, I think 
being masked and conscientious all the time is excessive because Mm -hmm. people need to live. Mm -hmm. But I was in an Uber on Friday and on the Uber app here, before you get into a car, you have to check a little box that says, I understand that I have to follow COVID-19 protocol and I'm going to have my mask on before I get into the car. Yeah. Well, I get into the car and my guy isn't wearing a mask. And I've I've been in I've been in one Lyft and maybe three Ubers where the driver was like, "Oh no, you don't have to wear the mask anymore." But something about me, like, and I mean, truthfully, do I want to wear my mask? No, I don't. But I'm I always lean on the side of caution. And something just came over me where I asked this guy, "Do you are you vaccinated by any chance?" And he goes, and he like kind of reluctantly goes, uh, "No." And I just was like, okay. And I put on my AirPods. I obviously kept my mask on and I just sort of like stared at my phone for the entire drive. Mm. And then when I got there, I was like, I just, I, I don't like being mad. I don't like it, but it happens. You know what I mean? I'm just, I have as an Aries moon, I need (laughs) to have like my 10 minute tantrum and then I'm over it like literally better than I was before. So I decided I'm just going to like call Uber and I tell them like, Hey, I've been with Uber since you guys were just running tests of your product in this city. Like I've been with you since the very beginning and you can look that up. I spend so much money with you guys, thousands a year on Uber. And in Los Angeles, I'm just, you know, I'm just surprised. I I said to them, I want money. I said, I don't want a refund. I want money. I said, <laughs> like, you guys should be like adding an extreme credit to my account because I have an autoimmune disease. Yeah. And this guy is saying that it's sort of on a driver by driver basis, but that's not true. And it's not the policy. And maybe if you're listening to this and, you know, Wyoming or Indiana, this is a massive turnoff for you because like you're not used to this type of hard stance. But I don't know. What do you think about it? It's like they are independent contractors, so they can't demand Mm -hmm. that you're vaccinated. Right. Yeah, that's very true. I suppose from a legal standpoint, they are they don't have the same rights as like regular workers. Although I thought that that something had passed in the state of California that that had changed that for Uber drivers. Potentially, I don't know. Okay. I think I voted for that even, but I don't know. Yeah, because there was there was heavy lobbying, wasn't there, from Uber to be like, don't let people have like basic sort of workers' rights. But it, I don't know. I think duty of care. Like I, the same thing is true here. Like before you ride, you have to wear a mask and like sanitize your hands and like agree to it. I haven't yet. I don't think I've yet been in an Uber with someone who's not been masked like generally they've been quite conscientious and they've always had like the back windows open as well so it's ventilated but yeah and and similarly I mean it's not a legal requirement in the UK anymore to wear a mask or to isolate if you're sick so like it's recommended that you isolate when you're sick but you won't get into like legal trouble if you don't so like this whole time like me and Billy were masking when we went to shops, when we went into Ubers, like anywhere where we weren't like sitting down to eat, let's say we had to, you know, have a mask or to have access to the holes in our faces. And like, if we were outside, so we were being really careful, but masks are only effective if everyone's wearing them. So like, even if we're creating a layer of protection, 
there's an, there's other people who just breathe in their disease in the air. So yeah, yeah, and I was like very clear with Uber that I understand the impulse because it's starting to get really beautiful here. It's starting to be springtime. Oh. And it's like warm and there's it's that time of year where there's a really nice breeze here in this desert climate. And I understand the impulse to not want to wear a mask. It's easier when it's cold to wear a mask because it's actually kind of nice that your little cheeks are protected or whatever. But I, you know, I also said, like, I really don't want to get this man fired. But at the same time, in a situation with an Uber... While they are important ways for people who don't have access to a car or are disabled or whatever to get around, I think most people who take an Uber, when they take an Uber, it's so that they can be the one who's out of control. Like you take it so that you can go home drunk or you don't have to worry about driving or you don't have to whatever. Like the passenger is the variable, I -hmm. feel, in an Uber. Mm -hmm. And when you get in, and I have noticed, you know, because Ubers are harder to get now, there's a huge problem with out there with there not being enough Uber drivers on the road in Los Angeles. It used to be that you could just at any at the drop of a hat you could get someone at your house in two minutes, and now there's same here. It's, to, it's a global issue for sure. Yeah, for there's sure. like 15 minute wait times to mm-hmm. get an Uber to your house, which is you know a, an issue. And so I'm sure they're bringing in people who are less qualified. I mean, I was in a lift the other night where the guy was driving like, I mean, I said to my friend, I was like, either that guy is like fucked up or he literally doesn't know how to drive. Like he just got his license last week because he was not confident enough. There was one thing where a car was like coming. He like merged into traffic, but he did it unsafely. So there was a car that was coming straight at me that I was like, that will cripple me. If it hits me. And it was that sort of like split second thing where thankfully the white car slowed down. But it was it was like he was at that perfect point where I would probably be the only one physically harmed if it if it had hit me. So I don't know. I've, I mean, I do feel bad because I don't want to put one. I don't want to take Ubers off the street Two, I don't want to put anyone in a bad position after so many years of just a difficult financial climate. But yeah, I I think that maybe people are also more cautious about reporting irresponsible Uber drivers now because everyone feels and possibly even more in a city like Los Angeles where everyone is so touchy feely. Right. Maybe they feel guilty reporting people for bad behavior. And it just it was one of those things I got a little bit of a justice boner slash I want money. Mm-hmm. I want a $200 credit immediately. But yeah, that's just mm-hmm. how I feel. It's just how I feel. And guys, we have to, I mean, COVID's still real. There's this like BA2 thing going around. Do you know if that's a strain you have? No, it feels quite omnicrony to me because I've had all of the Omicron symptoms, like very sniffly, very tired. I is a bit in my chest at the moment, but it's not like super chesty. It definitely is more like a, it just feels like a bad head cold at the mm. moment. Yeah. I'm sorry, honey. But that's 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 the power of vaccinations and jabs, right? Like I'm triple jabbed. It could be a lot worse. Like I seem to be coming through it really quickly. The risk of like hospitalization is incredibly low. And I and I, I was gonna I was talking to Billy and I was like, this is the time to get it. 
this is the time. March yeah. 2022 is the time to get it. Because we're get two it years over in. The technology's there, <laughs> but it's still a big enough deal that like, you know, people feel sorry for you. I feel if I got it in a year's time, no one would care. Yeah, I I mean, I that was one thing I said to Uber too, where I was like, listen, as a person with an autoimmune disease who happens to also be a social smoker at this point and chronic vapor, <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times I'm vaccinated. I, I really do think that it would put me, it would kill me. I think COVID could kill me. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, guys, just please be careful. That said, you sent this lovely New York Post article over to me today. It's officially Short King Spring. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm so happy. Finally, the Short Kings get their moment in the light spring sun. What is what is your take on short guys? Well, I'm married to a person of limited stature. Okay. Mm, okay. <laughs> we are sort of we're he's a little taller than me but I'm not particularly tall I think he's five five I'll have to ask him anyway so I personally I I really fuck with a short king and so much so that I made a decision to be with one for the rest of my life so I'm all here for it but you're a taller lady than me so you will probably have a different take yeah you know I was very sizest when I was younger I think when I was I I have tall men in my family and I just have always felt like, oh, tall men are definitely the most attractive. But in practice, I have not always dated tall men. I don't mind someone. I'm five, eight, roughly five, seven and a half, five, eight. So, I mean, I don't mind like a five, nine, a five, 10 king. I don't mind that. And I also have dated men who are like my exact height or maybe even an inch shorter and I, first of all, it doesn't really make a difference if they're fine with your height. That's that's great for me. Mm -hmm. It's like as long as I, I don't want to feel penalized. I used to date one terrible man who would call me a gigantress who needed to see a doctor about growing too much, which it was it was a funny way to articulate his <laughs> articulate his insecurity. But but in the context of him being a bad person, it was less funny. That said, I think short kings are great. I, I really think that people, it sucks to watch the younger generation do what my generation and so many generations before us did, which is like fall into this false trap of, oh, the guy's got to be six and six feet and over. Like mm -hmm. you'll see on TikTok, like girls who have in their dorm room, a little line on the wall that marks six feet and they make all guys stand against that line. Like you must be this tall to ride this woman kind of thing. 100%. Okay. And <laughs> I, I'm not ever going to tell people like you should settle or something like that. But you are passing up a lot of great people when you are dealing with like that superficial superficiality, that sort of list of things that someone must meet in order to be worthy of your presence, you are cutting yourself off from a lot of potential joy and like great human connections. Height alone should never be enough to friend zone someone. So I support yeah. short king spring, but yeah, not all short kings are in fact kings. No, not all short kings are created equal. <laughs> so short king spring, you guys try it out. Give yourself, give yourself a chance. 
if you see a guy that's like, you know, if you see a guy on Tinder that's 5'9", that's reasonable. I mean, is that considered a short king? I think any I take talk of being defining it as um anyone over 5'11 does not qualify. So even a 510 king is a short king as per the rules of the kids these days. Yeah, so give a guy under 5'11 a chance. Dare yourself. Make it a goal because you might find someone that you like a lot and yeah. Yeah. And usually I would say like, I have a real soft spot for like anyone who's had any like um, real adversity in their childhood and had to develop a personality. So like anyone who was, who was like humbled in a big way by either being chubby and having to wear a t-shirt at the pool or like having to, having to craft a personality beyond their like height or stature tend to be, to be very interesting, like people, because they've had to kind of They've had to create something else. Do you know what I mean? Like people who are too good looking, I don't often trust unless they used to be fat or something. And then I'm like, okay, well, then I can trust you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a great point. And I'm going to, and I'll go ahead and say it because I, I definitely identify as a chubby, a chubby kid. Okay. Mm -hmm. Former fat kids. Listen to me. You in particular have no fucking reason to not date someone who (laughs) is a short king. Because you know the fucking struggle. You know it. And I do feel it could be a form of self-hatred if you won't allow yourself the potential pleasure of a short king. Totally. I think, I think genuinely that there's two ways that that can go. Like if you're a form, if you're a former fat kid or whatever, then you will either go, you'll either develop a lot of empathy in one direction or you'll try and distance yourself as much as humanly possible for it. Avoid those people, those people who won't acknowledge it. Fuck them. They're not going to be good times. People who will develop empathy, those are the ones, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Great point, Tiff. Great point. Now, again, you're also killing me in our predictions for 2022. (laughs) Well, I, you know, when I said that I thought Amanda Bynes would make a comeback, it was a little bit, it was flippant, but I had a, a bit of hope because I was hoping that if we can reclaim Britney and we can set Britney on a, a, a right path post-conservatorship maybe there's hope for Amanda but I mean apparently she's been flooded with TV offers since a conservatorship end, ended and yeah she's even uh lasering off her heart tattoo uh-huh. on her face she's which really, is she's healing mage and she's also gone blonde again I don't know if you follow what's alleged to be her secret Twitter account I mean it's all oh. but confirmed yeah, I don't want to say it out loud because she will she will probably kick me off. But mm-hmm. no, I think I can. It's like Persian LA27 on Twitter. Okay. Okay. And she's private. So I think like if you're not in, you're not in. But she's been tweeting for years. Like really st- stuff you would only know if you were on the inside. And, and one thing that this account is – notorious for is asking for uber money to get from glendale to manhattan beach which is you know that was almost a daily occurrence just like i need money for starbucks and to take an uber and people were doing that for a really long time in fact i have a friend online i i won't i won't use his name but I notoriously yelled at him on Please Advise when he wrote in and said that he had an old iPhone that he wanted to donate to the person behind this Twitter account because they had been saying that they didn't have 
a great way to contact people in the outside world. And I said, do not give rich people your shit. Don't do <laughs> like celebrities don't need help from you. Even her, she doesn't need help from you. And even if you sent her this phone, it's probably going to get taken away. Like there's a reason why she can't have it. Mm-hmm. So I think like people had really been like helping her out financially and stuff over the years, which is good. I mean, it sounded like she was on a very strict allowance and I don't know. There's some terms of this account is expressing some terms of their conservatorship. They're not so happy with, I guess the person who runs this account, probably Amanda was under the impression that they would be in control of their finances post conservatorship. But now it's going to be the lawyer that's in charge of the bank accounts, which I don't, I mean, I don't know, but it's a big deal. I'm glad to say, I mean, thank God for Brittany, right? Like, thank God for Brittany and thank God for everyone who's been a part of that, you know, whole movement, myself included, because it's really starting to kick in already the effects of people learning how horrible it is and how abused it is. Yeah, totally. And then we have uh, Nicole Nichols still to be released Oh, yeah. We got to get my queen out. I've been thinking about her a lot. We got to get her out. Now, my worst prediction, probably my most grim prediction, is starting to maybe have some truth to it. If you guys aren't Mm. familiar with what I'm talking about, I said that at some point we've been putting healthcare workers through so much over the last two and a half years, and there's still so many people that will not help them get out of this situation that is seemingly endless in terms of COVID, right? Mm. Well, on my FYP this week, I found out that at Good Samaritan Hospital in upstate New York, which coincidentally was also listed in, um, I watched a documentary this weekend called Class Action Park, which was about the most dangerous (laughs) dangerous <laughs> have you seen it the most dangerous water park in america yeah it's so good that good samaritan got a shout out in one of yeah. the articles but yeah it was it was a great documentary if anyone hasn't seen it but the dot nurse dot erica that's her name on tiktok she said that you know a, a nurse had apparently taken her life a week ago or or something at good samaritan maybe two weeks ago and we're now, you know, two weeks out after that, and none of the nurses have been offered counseling. They have not been offered any sort of, I mean, this is the type of event that when a, a nurse takes their life, I, I believe she jumped. Like, this is the, any any workplace would bring people in for that. Yeah. Pretty much, right? Yeah, totally. You would think on the heels of so, just just this nonstop shitstorm that they're living through. You would think that they would. Now, people are saying Good Samaritan's a private hospital. It's a private Catholic hospital. And so they might not feel the need to do that. Apparently, private Catholic hospitals are really bad. I mean, I I knew that just from being in college and knowing that if you, you know, got pregnant when you were a student at Boston College, they would take you to St. Elizabeth's and refuse you an abortion, basically. So I was born at St. Elizabeth's as well, by the way. But I think that it was, I think that Good Samaritan might, you know, shy away from that. But the comments, what was so notable was that the comments were filled 
with disgruntled healthcare workers who feel like they've been just beat up and completely abused for years now. And it was a mixture of, I have contemplated self-harm. I feel like I am on the brink of, you know, hurting myself or someone else. And people saying I had to leave the industry, which is terrible to think about. It's so difficult to become, listen, I mean, maybe is it, is it as difficult as becoming an anesthesiologist? No, but it's not easy to become a nurse. And I don't think anyone should diminish the work that it takes to become a nurse. It, it's, no. it's real work. And you yeah. also have to have a very, you know, there's also this huge meme about how all nurses are kind of like bitches or whatever. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily so widely true either. But no, they do that. They do like, you know, doctors diagnose, nurses treat essentially. Like if you're unwell, you're being treated by nurses. Your medications usually be administered by a nurse. Like your well being is being tended to by a nurse. A doctor is there to diagnose and create a treatment plan. So really, you're in the trenches, not to diminish doctors by any stretch, but like you are seeing just day to day to day to day shit and you're having to take the shit quite literally and figuratively it must be such an incredibly hard job and I can't imagine what it would be like to do it during a fucking pandemic absolutely absolutely and you know nurses are I'll, I'll just say that every nurse I know personally not because they've treated me but just because they happen to choose this career path are fucking angels like I could cry my friend literally is a you know, I don't know. She's a big fancy nurse that goes to China and helps blind babies get eyes. Okay. Like these are saints truthfully. And it just, I don't know. So if you guys want to follow that, I do feel like we are, things are ramping up and I really hope that prediction doesn't come true. It's my worst prediction, but yeah, I feel like it's starting to be inevitable because like the COVID just keeps coming and the disrespect is worse. And none of these people have gotten a break. There's no like, you know, oh, you're working every week and we're going to give you a month off here. If I think if they were even giving people like one month off a year, but there's a shortage. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet. And if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. Doja. Oh, Doja. This was one of your predictions, was that Doja was going to do something that would get her canceled this year. I don't think that this is going to be a cancellation either. But basically, she was supposed to be playing this festival in Paraguay. And it ended up being canceled because there was a big storm. And some of her fans found the hotel that Doja was staying at and waited outside with the hopes of getting autographs and pictures. There was even, I'm reading now from this BuzzFeed article, it said you might have heard of this festival because Miley Cyrus's plane got struck by lightning and route to the festival. Machine Gun Kelly also ended up doing an impromptu show outside of his hotel after the cancellation. However, it's worth mentioning that seemingly now deleted tweet from Doja asserts that there weren't any fans outside of her hotel when she left the following day. So she 
tweet. She started by tweeting. I don't think I gave Brazil a good enough show tonight at all. And I'm sorry for that, but thank you guys for coming out. I fucking love you. And thank God we got another show tomorrow. I promise I'll do better. And so right away, the stands come in and they start saying like, you know, it's too late to apologize, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's the thing with stands, right? They're very unsatisfiable people. Absolutely. There's nothing you could do to to fill that gaping hole that the stands want filled. And there's certain fan bases that do this more liberally. And I will say, like, I think Nicki Minaj stands do this where they attack their queen a lot. I mean, Doja stands do this. Uh, maybe Cardi's stands even. It's like, I, I, but you don't see that. You don't see that so much with like Aryanators. You don't see that with Swifties. You don't yeah. see those girls getting attacked so much. Aryanators are are some of the shadiest motherfuckers on the internet. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, stands are typically like they'll defend anyone. If you say I didn't think I did a good show, it's people like actively shitting themselves and be like, it was the best thing I ever saw. <laughs> so it keeps going back and forth with Doja just being like, I don't care anymore. I, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not sorry. And then someone says, it's kind of sad, though, because if you handle the situation like this, I can imagine it happening again and again with other countries. And she says, I'm not taking a pic. I'm not taking pictures again with anybody else after this tour. And it ends with this tweet from her. It's gone and I don't give a fuck anymore. I fucking quit. I can't wait to fucking disappear. I don't need you to believe in me. Everything is dead to me. Music is dead. And I'm a fucking fool for thinking I could ever, I was ever made for this. This is a fucking nightmare. Unfollow me. And then this shit ain't for me. So I'm out. Y'all take care. I, I I knew she was going to have a meltdown at some point because she has been deeply overworked. Like the sheer amount of output that Doja has been grinding through over the last couple of years is insane. Yeah. I mean, because she's not just an amazing artist. She's really prolific, even though they made her sing Say So for two years straight. Uh-huh. She's like an incredibly like prolific and diverse artist. And I feel like she puts so much effort into something that she's built by herself it it sucks to watch people be unsatisfied when you are doing everything you can absolutely I had always heard as well that because she was under the sort of contract with Dr. Luke that she was basically trying to blast through her contractual obligation as quickly as possible so that she could then be out of it and then sort of be on her own terms again so the reason why she's released so much and toured so much and appeared so much and whatever done so much in such a short space of time is like I just got to get my head down and get this done and then I'm out and then Mm -hmm. I can and then I can take a break rather than taking breaks along the way and kind of prolonging the inevitable but unfortunately I think she just looks like someone who's just just so burnt out I mean I know she's kind of snapped at you know, our our friend who does the plastic surgery analysis, but Doja has lost quite a lot of weight and is looking kind of in the face in particular quite sallow, like not, not in a horrible way, but she just looks really tired. Like she just looks knackered. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, I, I mean, I want to clarify. I truly think she's one of like the most beautiful out there in the world. She's gorgeous. But you can tell when someone you've been looking at every 
day for a very long time is not doing well. And it, yeah, it's going to catch up to anyone. It does. It catches up to anyone, especially if you're feeling anxiety, it's going to just, you know, ravage your senses and your nerves a little bit. And I think that she, yeah, I mean, I think this is obvious. She's obviously not quitting music. I don't know if there's anything else she would ever want to do. And I don't know if she's necessarily in a position to retire yet, even though she's done very well for herself. But, but yeah, I, I feel bad. I mean, this, I, I, we're absolving her. She's not being canceled. There's no cancellation here, but we're watching someone very, very close to, you know, the point of no return. I feel like she's having a little bit of a public meltdown and I think people would be super forgiving because she's much beloved and she's not, yeah, you're right. She's not going to be canceled, but she's in a bit of a, I don't know. It's a tricky zone. Cause it's like, if you, if she just gets pushed a little bit further, she may say the thing that will, that will turn the stands really against her. And I think she has such a sort of an active fan base. Yeah. Be I, hanging I, on her every word, you know, I'm even hesitant to call it like a public meltdown though, because I feel like there's only so much a person can take before they snap back. Yeah. And maybe threatening quitting music is like the most extreme hyperbolic sort of reaction she could have. I don't know. I mean, I, when I think about meltdowns, I think about like Charlie Sheen or, you know, what maybe a more classic meltdown, but it, you know, it has to be, especially because she is so online and I know that bitch is like checking her replies. I mean, I know Mm -hmm. she's on all these apps and probably just felt bombarded. Yeah. And I think that people, you know, it, it is true that South America is just gets less action. Like Taylor Swift never goes to South America. And that's like a huge problem with South American Swifties, right? Because, I mean, what a big, like, you know, continent to ignore. <laughs> but, and and I can't think of any other continents that really get that treatment so much. But yeah, I, I just, it's, it's, I don't know. I feel bad. I feel bad. Like me, you know, maybe it's a mixture of like, they are not getting enough live shows. So they don't know that these sort of things happen. I mean, for me as an American, I know that like anything I, you know, buy a ticket to, it could be taken away from me just as easily as I bought the ticket. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I pray, prayers for Doja girl. Tight. I'm sending you strength and love during this time. And it's okay to take a break from social. Cause you know what? That you raise a really excellent point. If she's touring all the time and she's putting out material, but she's also on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram. It's like th- the workload is huge. I mean, Lil Nas X took three months off social media and came back and everyone was like, Oh my God, Lil Nas X. Like he's just come back. You know, I don't want to be a dick, though, but I don't think she can. Oh, really? I mean, well, she was so addicted to that tiny chat that she was still going in it after she was famous. Like, I think Mm. she – one of the things I love so much about Doja is that she's like a true child of the internet. Mm. And one time I got locked out of my Twitter because it thought I was zero years old by accident because I, like, you know, I was trying to just make it so you couldn't see my birthday – but I accidentally said that I was born in the year that it was. And so they locked me out for like three months on Twitter. And yeah, it sucked. You know, it sucked to not be on Twitter because it's every, you know, everyone wants to see what's going on, especially if you're me. 
but I don't know that Doja can unplug from the internet. Like so many people that have the same mindset about the internet, that's like taking away like your all your resources. Mm. Your entertainment, your you know, your lifeblood. But yes, prayers for Doja. We'll figure it out. I'm Doja call me. So <laughs> now we've talked about Emma Chamberlain on the show before as well. What do you know about Emma? Honestly, I don't know very much about her. She's she's one of those people that I recognize and I recognize her face and I think, oh, I I think she's someone who's very accomplished. I don't consume any of her content, but I don't know if it's for me, but I don't really know who it's for. She falls into a category of sort of a certain genre of brunette on the internet that just isn't in my in my wheelhouse, shall we say. Got yeah. So Emma started popping up on my recommended page around the time that she like really started first posting a lot on her channel. And I checked it out because I always like to see, you know, what's who's popping, right? Mm-hmm. And she was this girl from the Bay Area. I think she was like 16 when she started really religiously posting to her YouTube channel who this only child. A lot of her videos were based around her driving around, like getting takeout or going thrifting on a Saturday day. I mean, honestly, she reminded me a lot of my younger self. Like I was just very self-entertained and I would like leave the house for the whole day and come back. And my mom wouldn't even ask where I was because I was a good kid. I wasn't mm-hmm. getting into trouble. So I, I she has that like element to her. At one point, she was like accused of being an industry plant because her growth on YouTube was unbelievable. She's someone that like, you know, built a following of, you know, 20 million followers within a year and a half type thing. Mm -hmm. So she moved to Los Angeles when she was 17 by herself and because her where she was living with her mom was no longer safe for her. And she started being in with all like the, you know, the content creators. She was a part of the sister squad with like James Charles and the Dolan twins. And that's another place where her popularity really rose and grew. But like Emma was definitely had the most like fresh, pure and untouchable clout out of the group. So even though she was probably really excited to be creating with these like big creators that had massive audiences, you know, everyone's over 10 million. She probably was very excited by that, but like maybe didn't even realize that she was the star or the main attraction for a lot of people because right. James and the Dolan twins had been, you know, they were an old hat at that point. So Emma, like, absolutely just continued to explode. She got the right team around her. She has made incredible career moves during her maybe four or five years of fame. Now she's about to be 21. So four years of fame. And she is like uh, one of the, you know, she's one of the Louis Vuitton girls. She's been a Louis Vuitton girl for several years. They fly her out all the time. If she needs an outfit, she just calls up Louis Vuitton and they will pull out some looks for her and she'll go and get them tailored and styled or whatever. Like she has that relationship with designers. She's also been doing a lot of, she's, I've heard her compared to like Twiggy and that she doesn't have any of like the traditional model stats, but she does have a, a modeling presence, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. 
And she also has Chamberlain Coffee, which is her coffee company that is, she says is not particularly profitable yet because I don't know, I guess these coffee businesses aren't as profitable as people think, honestly, but she, she's made millions and millions and millions. And she has a multi-million dollar home in Beverly Hills now, I think like she's done very, very well for herself and watching her growth has been insane. And that's where I, you know, that's how you guys know how I am. So this article that came out in the cut called Emma Chamberlain on the pros and cons of being her own boss has been getting a lot of attention this week. And it's sort of the typical reaction that people have when someone who has a quote unquote easy job complains about their work schedule or their relationship with work. And I thought that maybe you you as well would be able to like give some insight into this because as much as what I, I think what she's saying is incredibly unrelatable, I do think that people need to like slow down and think about the context of she started this at 16. Mm-hmm. Most people do not even have a job when they are 16, let alone a job that within a year moves them to Los Angeles where they start living an adult life on their own. And then by 21, not only is it all the regular, just all eyes on me stuff, but you've grown out of the type of content that you were known for doing. And it's, you know, new relationships start in your life. And she's someone who's been in a relationship for, I think, a year and a half or two years now. And she's kept that relationship very private. So at a certain point, what you're the limited things that you already talked about is like a clean YouTuber or a brand friendly YouTuber become even more limited because it's it's the same thing of her, you know, acting as an only child as a 21 year old. So some of these some of the clips that were pulled as like this is really unlikable are these things. I'm going to read them to you and I want you to tell me what you think, because I think that okay. there's. I think that there's a lack of compassion, honestly, for what creators struggle with, with working for yourself. It's not, they all know that they're not digging graves or like doing some, like you know, unless you're David Dobrik, you're not doing a job that could kill you. But <laughs> this is, or all of your friends, but it's, it's not, e- it's, I think that people think it's a lot easier than it is. And I just want to, I'll just read these clips. So the first one is on a typical work day. She says, with this career, you're always working. There are no set hours. I like to get most of my tedious tasks done be- between noon and 3 p.m., whether that's answering emails or creating content for a brand collaboration. When I'm shooting, that usually takes up the entire day from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. I record a podcast once a week, and I fit that in whenever I can. I record it all from my bed, all by myself. I'm grateful that I have the freedom to do things when I want and how I want. I decide when I feel the most ready or the most inspired. But sometimes that can be terrible because I may not feel like doing something for an entire week. Or I may not have it in me to do things for a few days. When you're your own boss, you have to be disciplined. I don't want to overwork myself. I never want to have too little to do. Um I've got a huge amount of respect and compassion for her and everything that she said there. I don't understand how you couldn't. Like, I, I only started working for myself, like, 
when the pandemic, well, just before the pandemic hit, so I've been working for myself for two and a half years. And, you know, the life that I thought that entirely working for myself would be versus what it actually is, is quite different. And there's a lot of like mental energy, even if you're not physically, say, sat at your computer, that goes into wondering like how you're going to sustain and have longevity or where your next track's going to come from or like when you're going to be able to take holiday or you know worrying about if you get sick and not paying the bills different for her because she has a lot more money in the bank but her money in the bank only comes in as far as she is relevant and liked and to tie your self-worth to your rent check (laughs) in that way must be incredibly stressful and I for one would not want to do it. Yeah. And she has a benefit in terms of longevity that most creators, especially niche creators, do not. In that even some of the TikTok megastars like Tabitha Brown, I haven't seen Tabitha Brown on my FYP in forever. And Tabitha Brown held my hand through every single day of early pandemic. So it's like you really don't have a crazy long shelf life. That's a very good that's a very good point to bring up. Is that like you need to save your money when you luck into a situation like that because you probably have especially if you are in a saturated category 2 years of relevancy. Big time. That's where you're going to make the most money. And then if you're smart with it, then you can allow it to have a life beyond your career. I know someone who was one of the OG UK YouTuber she was like one of the very first to be asked to be a YouTube partner and she was she was it she was the female YouTube creator and she doesn't do that anymore she actually works for a creative agency and she does like social for for pretty big brands but I remember talking to her about like the end of her YouTube career as her like views were tailing off other people were coming in and starting to make money when she was doing YouTube no one was really making money off it yeah and her saying I just felt like I had to like I had to make these videos in order to like try and pay the bills. I was getting these brand deals, but the videos were videos I didn't want to make and nobody wanted to watch them. And it was just soul destroying. And I was like, it's humiliating. Totally. Yeah. And again, it's like, okay, they're not like digging graves or like burning your arm on a fucking like hot grill for 12 hours a day. But I think like work is work. Uh, struggle is struggle let's all have a little bit of human empathy and compassion for a second and I can I can't yeah I would hate to have my self-worth tied to to my finances like that like and and my self-worth be defined by how many people interact with content that I make all the time like that would fucking destroy me I think yeah and the other element of it too is that like you know, a lot of people look at that schedule and they're like, well, that's not real work. Oh, you spend three hours doing admin and emails. But guys, like if you're working a corporate job, they're keeping you there. You yes. could do you could do your work in the same amount of time. Now, is it that the problem is, is self-employment a, a possible goal for that many people? Pro- no, it's not. A lot of people are not built for it. A lot of people do not have the time to get that infrastructure going. They don't know what they, they haven't had the time to dream about what they would do if they were their own boss. But here's the other thing with influencers. So many people are like, they should feel lucky, but truthfully, like it's not going, it's not going to be you in their place. 
you have to have a certain je ne sais quoi to be someone who thrives on the internet. You have to. Yes. There's yeah. just, you know, and and I would say like, you know, a classic example of someone who might be lacking in that je ne sais quoi is Mr. Beast. But he, while he's not the most dynamic on-screen performer, he comes up with larger-than-life ideas and he executes them. And that is rare. And so I I do think that some of the disdain that is thrown her way is a little bit because people are rightfully frustrated with corporate America and the systems that we all have to, on some level or another, engage in because yeah. Yeah. Th- those are the rules that were made for us. Here's another yeah. thing she said. On her job's biggest challenges, she writes... I know a lot of people look at being self-employed and being your own boss as the goal and the best scenario when it comes to work. I certainly thought that. And there will always be tough parts of working for other people. But I don't believe self-employment is best generally because I look at people who get to be on autopilot and separate their work from their personal life. And I envy that. My work and my life are wrapped up together and my work is never off my mind. I can't ever check out. Being self-employed is not perfect, and it's not this end-all, be-all, you-win idea. Working is working, and there are these are the cards I've been dealt, and I wouldn't change them for the world, but I've had a lot of challenges in adjusting to being my own boss at a young age. I had confusing and very difficult moments emotionally. After four years, I feel like I'm finally falling into a routine. Oh. God, she's so young. She's That's so the- wise for being some- someone so, so young. <laughs> She's so young. At 21, most people don't even have to like not I don't know if it's most people anymore what the stats are. But at 21, that's the age that most people are just graduating college. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, I she's still only 20 years old and she's she's a mini mogul. She's speaking thoughts that it took me years to figure out how to articulate in terms of like you know, I'll admit things feel out of control when you are your own boss and you start fantasizing about working at the Hallmark store yes. or at Home Goods. Like, I would yes. love to put on a fucking apron and help people find things and check people out at a cash register. Like, would that maintain the lifestyle that I want to live? No, but there's something nice about the idea of being able to leave your work at the store. Oh my God. 100% that. My husband does that and I envy him. I mean, he doesn't, he works quite a sort of um, a corporate job. And as soon as he finishes work, he's done. He's absolutely done. It's like, that's it. That's, that's all they're getting from me today. And there is a certain amount of freedom in that. And some people, you know, some people really relish stability and really relish having, you know, knowing exactly where the next check is going to come from. And there's absolutely no shame in that. Also, you don't, not everyone has to have a hustle. Not everyone has to have a side hustle, but like success isn't finite. So like, if you're looking at someone like Emma Chamberlain and feeling some kind of way that it's not you well guess what the internet is open and you're on it and you're more than welcome to give it a try like oh yeah you know so like there's no kind of there's no need to look at what someone else is doing and their success and feel really bitter about it if you yourself can um can also perhaps carve out a little space for yourself it doesn't have to be the same shape as somebody else's space 
like you're you have every right to carve the space that feels right for you but I mean fuck she is she's very very wise for someone so young stuff that yeah I hadn't figured out until until quite recently and I'm still figuring out honestly like I'm still figuring out I don't want to be rude but like I do often think about that when I hear people complaining about someone who's been approached well first of all I'll just say as someone who was giving interviews when I was way too fucking young to be like waxing poetic about these like big picture ideas that I just didn't know what life looked like yet. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of making these declarations that you haven't lived enough life to be informed on what you're actually saying. It's sort of just, I don't know, a description of feelings, but like, I do think that there she's been she's put in an un in an unfriendly situation when she's being asked to talk about her busy career as a 20 like that's just people are just going to be like fuck you you're you know you 21 you have a busy career get over yourself. Mm. But I would like to I would like a lot of people who have shit to say to try. I would like them to try to yeah capture the lightning in a bottle that she has and react to it normally. Because I know people from all walks of life, we see this constantly. It's been a thing for many, many years, YouTuber burnout or content creator burnout. And I feel like the only reason why she's not a relatable queen, so to speak, anymore, because that was her big thing. She was a relatable queen. I think the reason why she's not a relatable queen anymore is because she's had to think about things that most people who are in her audience, which I believe is, I think the people that are really into Emma, they used to, they're around her age. They used to skew, you know, more young, but I think it's like people up to like, you know, 25 to 26 find her aspirational. There's, there's this one last thing I wanted to read. So it says on what would surprise people about her job. And she says, what I'm doing right now is my dream job, but I never thought about what being in the public eye was like. I just wanted to share my ideas on the internet, make content and edit videos. You need an audience for that, of course, but the negative side is the lack of privacy because there's no one to blame but yourself most of the time. And you think I could walk away, right? So it's this battle. Sometimes I feel like a zoo animal with everyone looking at me. It's intimidating, uncomfortable, and everyone has this. Everyone has something to say. And half the times, the things they say aren't very nice. People want to know about parts of my life that I don't want to share, and you feel like there's nowhere to run. But there is a place to run. You can quit, but you don't want to quit because it's your dream, and there are so many amazing and beautiful things about it. Aww. So that's another element of it, too, where – I don't think anyone's used to having that level of scrutiny. Like certainly if you work at the bank, people aren't talking about your love life. No, no. Maybe the, you know, most common analogy for your average person is like people spreading rumors about you in school or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think like it's very difficult to maintain the same level of healthy boundary on the internet because I think I think about this a lot like when people started getting big on YouTube they were quite literally letting people into their homes into their bedrooms oh yeah something that felt incredibly intimate and there's just a real false sense of intimacy there because like you're being shown what somebody wants to show you but it doesn't mean that you're entitled to the rest of it and it feels a little different from like traditional celebrity because that feels 
separate like it feels almost like a satellite that's orbiting and you can't quite get to it so that when you do see celebs they're just like us oh my god cellulite Daryl Hannah like you know it feels like kind of juicy and scandalous but like when you're in someone's bedroom looking at their shit on their shelves you know looking at their kind of like you know unkempt duvet whatever it might be and someone's a little bit unfiltered and un sort of diamond in the rough and or whatever you do have this like false sense of intimacy but um and I think that makes us as an audience feel like we're entitled to more and quite frankly we're not like everybody has a right to privacy and boundaries yeah well this is actually like bringing back the doja cat thing a little bit because she's very intimate with her fans and over sherry and stuff like that in a way that you know the common thing that's always in her comments is like sometimes i forget she's a celebrity right Mm. most of these people that we elevate and are put on pedestals and make $20 million a movie or whatever, they have been put through the Hollywood machine. They know how to protect themselves. Even paparazzi culture has slowed down a lot. And Mm. probably the worst thing that can happen to you at this point is like Dumois, right? (laughs) In terms of things that could be out of your control. Even though Dumois, did you see Dumois has a publishing deal that they're publishing a novel? Oh, wow. I know. And while Emma does have very good reps, and that's very obvious by the moves that she's made in her career, they do not, I don't think they teach social media stars, even a publicist doesn't really teach a social media star how to handle celebrity. And this is, again, why I've always said that YouTube, or there needs to be something very similar, needs to have some sort of liaison for young creators that become businesses overnight. Mm-hmm. Because they don't know how to manage their business and they don't have the protections that most other celebrities or public figures do. They don't have organizations or studios behind them. No, you even get used to get that on Big Brother. When you would come out the Big Brother house, somebody would take you that day after you've done your interview and they would introduce you to a publicist and a, and a this person and a that person and someone for finances because you would be suddenly catapulted and there'd be a duty of care to make sure that this average person was somewhat informed and protected. I think I'm going to make a TikTok about this, but someone, you know, when I post on TikTok, like I really do it in like maybe three places in my home. I do it in my bed a lot because I'm in my bed. And also it's because it's like a a limited place where you can see me. Mm -hmm. I do it in my kitchen and then I will do them in my bathroom. And my bathroom is like a very bright and bold room. And so people have asked if they can get like a house tour or whatever, because based on just like this limited peak of my bathroom, you must assume that I have a house that should be an architectural digest or something, right? It is a gorgeous bathroom. (laughs) Thank you. And someone asked me to do a house tour the other day. And this is what I want to, this is what I really am getting at here. People ask questions like that and you don't have to say yes. And I think that when I was younger, if I mentioned something and someone said, oh, I want to see this, I would show them because I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I just didn't have, I didn't know the importance of privacy back then. Mm. And now that I've seen firsthand through myself and also just watching other people go through this, once you give people access to your space they feel entitled to make comments on it the same way that they do about, you know, your skin or about mm. your like, meaning like, like, are you acne ridden or, you know, whatever? Like, it's like people 
the more you give people access on to make commentary about, they're going to just keep doing it. And your home or your place should be a sacred space. And you should really consider if you have to get a cleaning crew over to your house and spend two days organizing things in order to do a home tour, that should tell you that you are not ready for that amount of judgment that you're going to receive. And I Mm -hmm. just think that there's this boundary that people need to be more aware of. I think it's, you know, YouTubers started doing home tours and stuff like that. I didn't know when it became a common thing for people to ask, you know, non-designers or people who don't, you know, have a whole thing going on to just, can I see your house? (sighs) But that's actually very invasive. And it's certainly not a rude question, but it's just something that's been normalized. And I just want to remind everyone, you don't have to show people things that are sacred to you. If you don't want to show your house off or if you don't want to, you know, because you you get to control that. And I and I do appreciate even though Emma says, you know, because she does, she gets a lot of she has a lot of eyes on her and paparazzi like Hollywood Fix would be following her around a lot, like to her workout classes, to her blah, blah, blah. And I don't think she was the way she engaged with them was almost never. Oh, hey. You know, she would always sort of just be like, hi, guys. And be, I've only seen her be very polite to paparazzi and all of that stuff. And it seems like they very actively chase her, especially when she was rumored to be dating one of the Dolan twins. And again, that's not something you're taught how to do at all. But yeah, guys, you don't mm-hmm. have to you don't have to do that. I don't even like it. I always feel like there's some ulterior motive as much as some people just really like to see what you've got going on. There's always a person who's asking because they want to use it against you. Uh, I don't know. That said, can I, a brief TikTok thing. So um, I think I'm going to return to the trend lightly TikTok this week um, mm. with my COVID updates. Thrilled. I Thrilled. ordered two things from Amazon because Billy and I can't go anywhere for us to make stuff. One of them is a make tiny food out of clay kit. So I'm going to be doing that. Okay. Ooh, I I love I love that. <laughs> Tiny little clay tacos. And then I found on Amazon a juicy couture brace friendship bracelet making kit. So Billy and I are gonna make each other friendship bracelets. And I'm gonna make you one, Mills, and I'll send it to you because I No. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so excited. Really? You're gonna mm-hmm. make me oh my god, I'm so excited. Okay, just so you know, I only wear primarily red, white, blue, and black. Okay, perfect. I mean, I can take a little accent color. I don't mind a little accent, but those are my main four because the psychic I, told me, a Jewish mystic actually told me that people would <laughs> receive me poorly. Okay. Yeah. So we got to be mindful of that. But so you're making a juicy couture and you're going to post to our TikTok? Yes. Yeah. I, I will. Um, I will unbox the juicy couture bracelet making set that arrives this week to our TikTok and um, also our tiny little quarantine clay food things that we make I think they make I think they're keychains I think you can make like a little tiny like hamburger keychain kit because I'm kind of losing my mind a little bit even though I haven't been outside for two years the fact that I now can't go outside is is kind of killing me no the limitations are truly punishing and Mm. it's gonna line up perfectly because I um, I quit the tea advent. I'm sorry, guys. The tea sucked ass. I understand now why it was still in stock. I did get 
those mini brands things. So I'm going to open those up because that's, I mean, I'm adding to my collection of absolute shit that came in my unauthorized Taylor Swift advent calendar. And so I'm going to, I think I am going to make my lamp. I'm getting to the place where I think the lamp is going to happen. And I, yeah, so this is where all, this is good synergy between all of our tiny food. Do you know yeah. why? Because I bought me and Billy matching. I bought us mini brands to unbox the other day, and no I didn't film it. Yeah, way. I can't believe you you you're buying mini brands too. Oh my god. Well, I got them. I got two mini brands advent calendars, and in, but in May, in between, I'm going to sandwich in. Mm. I have a 12 day outdoorsman mm. advent calendar that's probably going to have like knives in it and stuff. And I will say there, someone was like, LOL, the outdoorsman advent calendar. And I was like, you don't know. I might be an outdoorsman. I might be an outdoorsman. (laughs) Or at the very least, I might need some of these things in my outdoorsman kit. Because, you know, most outdoorsman stuff, it could be for anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, I could find myself in a situation that could all easily be shit that I throw in a bag in my car. And who knows, it might just save my life. All right. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of preppers, by the way. So maybe, yeah, I could give you some tips on that. This was sent to me on a Friday. A friend said to me, like, have you seen this AMC thing? This woman doing stand up at AMC. And I was like, no. And he was like, oh, well, it's trending. So this would be a good thing for you to cover. And I was like, well, I don't know. What, what's it? You know, what is it? What's it going to be? So apparently this woman who was at the AMC Burbank 16, she decided that, you know, because the projector was broken, that she should pass the time by doing stand-up in front of everyone at this theater who was waiting for the movie to start. Now, what you're about to hear is a supercut of that this person who posted it edited and thank god for this because when i worked as defamer there wouldn't have been video of this there wasn't like cell phone videos back then so this would have been like lore (laughs) that someone had written up on their blog and that maybe even like you know probably definitely my editor would have gone to the person and said like can i interview you and get some clarity on exactly what was going on here but yeah this woman just decided okay well this the screen the projector isn't working so i'm going to use this time to do a not so tight 15 and it's a, it's a heavily edited video so yeah i'm just going to play it for you Sometimes people get jealous if they haven't been through as many things as you. 
Did you hear that? Tiffany King on TikTok. I'm also a psychic medium on the side. <laughs> Way to bury the lead, Tiff. So everyone's like, oh, what the fuck is this? Well, turns out Tiffany King is, I mean, as, you know, as stated, a stand-up who doesn't get to do it as much as she wants because she's a single mom. And that's written up a little bit. Going through her Twitter, I realized that she was one of the women who was had some allegations against Brian Callen, who is – honestly, most people will probably know him better from his podcast than his comedy. The Fighter and the Kid was his uh, – I mean, I think he actually used to be like some sort of fighter. I don't know. But yeah, he's the fighter, right? Yeah. I mean, they're both fighters, him and that other guy that talks crazy. But yeah, she – She was so she's you might know her from that. I mean, of course, the obvious things are getting thrown at anyone who does something like this, especially a woman. This wouldn't have been thrown at a man. He would have been called like pompous or something. But it's like she's crazy. Like she's mentally ill, Um, which is possible. It's also not the easiest thing to tell from a supercut video. Like a lot of people are saying she's manic. She's having a manic episode. I'm like, have you never seen a supercut? Yeah, like no, they cut the it. <laughs> they cut out the places where she breathed and like things, you know, joined together all those little spooky moments to make full sentences. But she I found her TikTok and she defended this behavior on her TikTok. So let's listen to this. To the people that are outraged about me doing stand-up comedy at the theater, which was in the moment spontaneous and after I was asked to do some jokes. Um, you should be outraged about more important things. Like, be outraged about the homeless population in California. Be outraged by the amount of people that died from COVID-19. Be outraged by the fact that Russia is murdering innocent people in Ukraine. Be outraged about your children spending way too many hours on the iPad. Be outraged by the fact that women are still getting murdered at a very high rate. It's Women's History Month, by the way. But a single mother trying to show her daughter a great time at the movies, who took a dare, and then also wanted to entertain a crowd that was hot, annoyed that the movie hadn't started. Why is that outraging you? Is it because you're not living in your moments? You're not going after your dreams? You're not brave enough to be in the moment? Go ahead and hide behind your keyboards and your iPhones, but let me just tell you, that's not spreading the light. That's being of the dark and being in the dark. So I just wanted to say that. Um, God bless you all. Bye. Yikes. (laughs) Her daughter, Zara, it's, I, I, feel okay saying that because her TikTok account is called Tiffany and Zara. Her daughter is a regular theme, I believe, in a lot of her stand-up. There was, I believe someone had found a video in which, like, she invited her kid to to stand up and then, like, roasted her the whole set. Oh. But I guess this sprung from her daughter daring her to do this. I will... Also say I did, of course, I did reach out to Tiffany King to see if I could maybe do a bonus episode with her, and she did not respond. 
Which is okay. She did an interview with NBC News, I believe, as well. But it just was sort of more of the same. I mean, my my friend asked me, like, well, if you interview her, are you going to be mean? And I'm like, oh, yeah, me. The world's biggest excuse maker is going to be mean (laughs) to this woman. Like, first of all, please find me an incident of me ever being mean to someone's face. Have I I ever talked shit? Of course I've talked shit. I'm human. But – to to an extent, you know, I'm, I'm a chronic, I'm a chronic defender of even the worst people, but she has not responded yet to me. Now, Tiffany King does have a history of making some racist jokes as well. And I've linked to her TikTok page as well as I think in particular one clip that's going around a lot right now. And it's like, you know, it's lazy racist comedian humor where she's like, oh, well, if you have a kid with a black guy, that's the way to go because he's not going to want to go to court. You know, something like just shit like that where it's like, oh, that is like such a that's so that's like not even an interesting thought like it never was. But like it's also so overdone in that space. And I guess, yeah, I mean, I don't know whatever excuse she has for that. I think she is half Mexican or whatever. And that's probably, I mean, that gives, that's what gives people a lot of entitlement to say fucked up shit. But yeah. Mm. So coincidentally, this, it does seem like this might be turning into the new airplanes, movie theaters, like people (laughs) taking out their COVID lack of human touch and experience on other people. So there's a screening of the Batman that was happening. I, I believe it's another Los Angeles incident. So it's this guy with like a blonde mullet. It's sort of like long and I mean, he kind of looks like Bruce Valanche, like a skinny Bruce Valanche. (laughs) And he's wearing a neon pink T-shirt and a neon pink pair of pants. And you really only see his back at the beginning of this. But he gets into a fairly long argument with the staff of this movie theater about (laughs) whether or not he's allowed to be sitting in his seat. He sat in a unassigned seat. However, I'm dying to know how this came about because it's a mostly empty theater and they're not starting the movie because he's in the wrong seat. So in some ways, I'm like, I kind of agree with him. The execution. Yeah. Yeah. Execution's not great, but I can only imagine if, you know, I've done this at many theaters where I've sort of been like, oh, actually, you know, I'm going to sit in a different seat. And if someone says something to me, I'll move. I've done that before, but something must have happened to get this conversation going. So I'm just going to play this clip of this this man, I think the very next night, having a, a meltdown at a movie theater. Seat in this theater. So that's Why do you have to have mine? It's not your Go seat. Go away. That's not gonna I pay my money. I have a right. To sit in your seat, correct? Yes, that's my not, seat. That's not your seat. How could you tell us that my seat? Because your ticket has your seat number on it. Whatever. Let's find it. Whatever. This can easily Do be your own policy. No, your, your no, I'm going to be an this. asshole because you're being an asshole. I am not. I'm a patron here. Okay, and I'm trying to find And this your will seat. be the last time that I come to this imagined theater. <laughs> All right, great. I paid I, my money. Does please, anybody please here come think back. that please this is back. actually... Uh, a, a thing where it's like it doesn't matter where you sit. It's not a side seating. It is. Go sit in your own seat. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Please, sir, let's find your seat and we can start. No, I'm not going to. Then I'm going to ask you to leave. You did like four or five times, and that's why now we have a disturbance. 
because some other people can't just okay. be like, you know what? I could sit right here. Sir, we're not doing this. One anymore. seat off. We're not doing one this seat off. So if I were to move over one seat, everything would be okay. Sir, is that what you're saying? You're is that what you're saying? Listen. Does that mean? Are you gonna listen? All right, go ahead. Be go ahead. Be okay. my pass. Okay. At this point, you are disrupting the show for these fine folks. We're gonna ask you to leave. We'll get you a refund though. I'll be nice and get you a refund. I don't know. I might want to be taken out in handcuffs now. Sir, let's come on. I paid my money. I don't understand yeah, we'll why it time. is. If I sit over here, one C, it's okay, and everything is right with the world. But if not, the world stops and everybody gets upset. Sir, let's go. I'll be nice and I'll get you a refund. I want more than just a refund. Okay. Can I get a drink? We'll take care of you <laughs> in the lobby. Fine. And then I won't come back. Okay. Ever. Okay. And I'm going to make sure everybody knows about this shit. Okay. I appreciate that. Would you like me to move over here? I don't want to be in your way, but we do need to go. Oh. I capitulate because I don't want to watch the movie now. You ruined it for me because of your silly ass rules. Okay. I apologize about that. I still think I'm being the bigger person here. Okay. <laughs> you take off your phone. Yeah. Should we go ahead? You said they paid $900 for it. Okay. So oh. he gets up and he puts on a floor length leather jacket over this <laughs> hot pink outfit. It's like the most perfect thing. And you guys can hear. I mean, you don't need to you don't need a visual. The visual is available for you in the show notes. Like you don't need a visual to hear like how few people there are in this theater. No. I also that lady who comes in and de-escalates can be a hostage negotiator for the FBI any day. I did think when she said I'll be nice, I was like, calm the fuck down, lady. <laughs> but I tell you what I did like is that she was like she she had like elementary school teacher energy about her. Like, which is just like, okay, I'm just gonna okay, yeah, you hate me. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, that's great. Because he's truthfully being a child and so therefore should be spoken to like a child. Like what he wanted was was that. But I also think this is the problem of like when your energy is like already at 10, you can't really go anywhere from there and you certainly can't ramp down. So you just have to like, have you ever done that when you're like really angry about something and you're like, I'm pissed off about this now. And you can't, you're just like, well, I'm yeah, I can't. Have I ever face. done anything like that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I do things like – I actually found it incredible. Like, he he was me calling Uber when he was like, and I want a free soda. Like, yeah. that's <laughs> – like, no, I relate to that in my bones. Like, the thing is, is that there's certain environments that I would just – I don't think I would ever pull something exactly like this, but I've been very annoyed at sort of – this like corporate need to do follow through where it's just like, what, like what, what was, was someone else supposed to be sitting in that exact seat? Mm -hmm. Like, because even if I was at a movie theater where there was mostly open seats, if there's eight people sitting in a hundred person theater and someone's sitting in my assigned seat, unless I have some like 
you know, attachment to that seat. You know, like the guy on Curb Your Enthusiasm that like wouldn't give Larry his ticket because he was saving the seat for his dad, his deceased mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if it's something like that, fine, have your seat. Okay. But for the most part, I would. this is no big deal. What he did is kind of no big deal. I'm dying to know the context and what happened beforehand. Mm-hmm. But it's no, I, 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 I actually feel like I relate to this man. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a weird way, unfortunately, so do I, because it's funny you say that like theaters in the new airports, there's this um, small airline, well, yeah, moderately sized airline that services a lot of Europe called EasyJet. And they have like very arbitrary rules about onboard baggage. And so they won't, basically you can't have two bags and what I like to do unless you pay extra what I like to do is have like a really small very very skinny bag that just has like my passport and my ticket and stuff like that like you know on like a like a you know very small and discreet but that doesn't take up any more room than the other bag but they insist on that bag being inside the bag just when I walk through the like final bit of boarding and have stopped me on more than one occasion and stood there and watched me and forced me to put that bag into the bag and while I go oh this is ridiculous because I'm you know I'm immediately going to take this out again and they'll be like yeah and I'm like so why are you making me do it and they're like because that's policy and I'm like but I'm going to take it out and they're like yeah so I'll put the thing in the bag. I've done it before. I've put the bag inside the bag and I've walked to like three feet and then I've like turned around and unzipped the bag, taken it out and put it back on my shoulder, which is so childish. But like feels the rule feels so arbitrary to me. It just feels no, totally arbitrary. It drives me nuts because like I on one hand, I understand the worker who, although it does sometimes seem like someone picked you as their enemy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I understand them not wanting to give a pass to anyone because they just, they spend all day long having to defend this stupid fucking rule. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they want to, they need to hold people to it. So they don't really offer, they offer you about as much as they know, which is like, I don't know why, but you know, some people are cool about it. Some people aren't, but yeah, you know, I I generally think that people on the malicious compliance subreddit are like deeply mentally ill people that <laughs> would probably be be terrible to be around at a party or something. Mm-hmm. Like it's that kind of thing that it's just like, but why? Like, yeah. but, what does but, it like, matter? Find a better rule. Like, if that rule is not working and it makes no sense, find a better rule. Cite for me why that rule was put into place. Like, it's it's illogical. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we really didn't see the beginning. So who knows what happened, but. Oh God, and the Batman's so long too. Can you imagine if you had to do that for 15 minutes before the film started? Fuck me. I know. Well, okay. Well, here's the other thing, right? Is that I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that safety in movie theaters in America, where you get shot up in maths class, as your people like to say, mm-hmm. like safety in movie theaters has always been a questionable thing, like the last five years. Same with airplanes. And so it's like kind of like weird to see people wilding out in these places that I think we should all we should all be very conscious of the fact that terror is created in terrorism is done in these spaces. And so like you just have to be good. You have to be on good behavior. Yeah. 
And I know that the movies used to be, you know, that's, you know, it's very 90s. I wish the day, you know, I miss the days when you could just like kick your feet up at the movies and sort of break some of the rules and just have a good time watching a movie. But you have to be aware of the fact that you're in a public space like that. I really, I wonder what happened beforehand. Yeah. And we're all, they're all we're all unsocialized now. Like this kind of behavior is going to pop up like more and more frequently as like the world has returned to a semblance of normalcy. Like for a while I was like, wow, it's really quiet out there in the world. What's going on? Oh yeah, we're in a pandemic. So people aren't going on planes or going to the movies because all the, you know, sort of slightly nutty people are at home, but all the nutters are out. So <laughs> I know I've noticed my, my anxiety, I feel if I'm going to give myself a note might have a radioactive glow to it right now where oh. I'm just like, in a social situation, sometimes I feel like I'm like, to me, everyone seems rude, but maybe they just have been socializing this whole time. Mm. And so, and I'm, I'm like a 10 out of 10 moron level friendly mm. most of the time, even as a shy person. And I'm wondering if my anxiety has like a little bit of a radioactive glow. Mapes. I do think people are ruder though. Like I did have to have therapy about this. Like I did have to cry at therapy about. You the did. Yeah, I thought Why? everybody was horrible. Well, I just was like, there was a minute there where we first started the pandemic, and everyone was like being really kind to each other because we all sort of understood that someone to the left and to the right of you was going through some shit, and now everyone's being fucking horrible again. <laughs> and how am I supposed to live in a world where everyone's horrible? This just doesn't feel okay. And my therapist was like. Yeah, it has been rough for everyone. <laughs> so maybe people are just becoming like self-interested again in the bad yeah. way. Yeah, I think maybe I was given a reprieve because because we were all given a reprieve and now things have gone back. I'm like, oh, I don't like this. I wish we were all nice again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's strange how quickly some people are willing to drop that. Yeah, <laughs> after everything we've been through. <laughs> Are you familiar with Teddy Fresh? I am. This is Gila Klein's clothing range. Brightly colored, very sort of 90s-esque, playful sweatshirts and apparel. Yes. So H3H3 is like one of the, you know, it's it was a big sort of like indie comedy type thing on YouTube for a while. They're a husband and wife team. They have the H3 podcast. They Ethan, the E in H3, was a <laughs> learn lead speak. Okay. Grow up. <laughs> he was the, you know, he's the he's the guy who did frenemies, right? So his wife, Ela, was you know, I think a few years into them starting to really have commercial success, they are examples of people who saved their fucking money. I think they were living in a really like sort of tiny house in the valley. And then when they started to experience a lot of doxing and safety issues, they wound up buying a $10 million Beverly Hills mansion, which I was like, who knew? Who <laughs> knew that they had? Who knew they were sitting on $10 million mortgage money, right? But Teddy Fresh is like high, I mean, you could consider it high-end merch. I consider it to be just like, it's not, you know, it's not designer, but like I have a couple Teddy Fresh things. I was wearing a Teddy Fresh sweatshirt yesterday and it's very, it's very well-made stuff. It's very, very well-made stuff. 
it has the sort of design to it that feels like toddler clothes for adults. <laughs> and so Teddy Fresh has been accused previously and they admitted to basically one of their designers copied a knitting pattern from like an old 90s knitting book that was a dinosaur where it said like RIP or something on it. And Teddy Fresh has started to get a lot bigger because they've done Teddy Fresh has gotten bigger because they've been doing a lot of like corporate collaborations. Like they did one with more recently, they did one with Jerry Garcia. They do one with Elton John. They've done it with SpongeBob and Looney Tunes. And so they've been doing that licensing thing a lot. And I think that's helped also really grow the brand. But at some point it went from being stuff that like Ela was mostly doodling. And that's like how, you know, it famously started to them bringing in all these designers and this dino sweater somehow slipped through the cracks. They approved it to go to production and it came out after the fact that this was a well-known knitting pattern to people in the children's knitting community. So now there's this new t-shirt that has a sort of country Western theme to it where it has, you know, succulents and boots and just, I don't know, Southern Western things. Okay. So this t-shirt actually had been first produced in the nineties by a company. Let me see if I can get the name of this brand here. It's all, I'm looking at a very magnified Depop image, but Mm. hold on. It is from No Dimension was the name of the brand that originally came up with this t-shirt. And if you'll remember, like sort of the irony of them being busted now twice, because like once is okay, whatever. Maybe there was a you know bad egg in the mix. This guy that you didn't fully vet, or he was kind of lazy, was just straight up copying symbol by symbol, piece by piece, the exact design of another article of clothing that existed a long time ago, assuming that it would just go under the radar. But now two of these pieces have gone under the radar. And the irony of this is that Teddy Fresh, I think, got on a lot of people's radar for the first time. Certainly not the core fans, but it got on a lot of people's radar for the first time because James Charles copied their iconic color box sweater, which was like, mm. you know, that's their, that's again, it's sort of like this youthful thing where it started out as you could, you know, in this insider article that I have linked in the show notes, you'll see it started out as just a design that Ela came up with, which is like a yellow hood, a teal sleeve, a purple sleeve, and then this like midsection that is a deep purple. And it was their signature. It was their signature piece for sure. And so James Charles came out with a incredibly similar version down to the color blocking, you know, being in the same pattern. And instead of their like, you know, I mean, all of their stuff, it does feel rich. Like the the Teddy Fresh patches on the clothing, they feel rich. And instead of that patch, it just says sisters across it. And Ethan, you know, I think James Charles has been like the subject of roasting in the past way before this happened anyway. But I mean, James Charles was a pretty big YouTuber and he actually sided with James in the whole James and Toddy feud when that whole thing went down. 
So I think the fact that like James was being accused of being a pedophile as well as this like, you know, obvious rip. I mean, we don't like plagiarism on this channel. You know, we don't we we he basically just like got completely slammed for it by them. And I mean, I, yeah, it's just ironic, you know, like, I don't know. I said to you before, it reminds me of what Lula Rowe was running into. And I, I actually, I don't think that Ethan and Ela run an unethical company. I actually think that they're pretty thoughtful people. So they probably are not working designers to the bone like this, but it reminds me of, when Lula Rowe started to get into legal trouble because their designers were forced to come up with 200 unique pieces of art or prints that could be used on leggings every day. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe for the first, you know, few weeks, a really ambitious designer could come up with that insane amount of art or product or whatever, but people start to borrow from clip art. People start to, copy designs that they think might be under the radar or whatever. And whatever it was, whatever it was, these, this designer for, for Teddy Fresh chose to copy. I remember that dinosaur sweater from being a kid. I think I remember kids I went to school with having a, that sweater that their grandparent probably knit for them. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about this? Man, f- fashion plagiarism is a really tricky area because – there are some really like good, clean, obvious examples of like when you see large fast fashion brands stealing from indie designers. I think like that's a really that's really simple and black and white, right? It's like this person's a small designer and Kylie Jenner has like ripped off this swimmer brand and, and basically done it exactly. Or, you know, pretty little thing has has remade something from a from a like an indie designer they found on Instagram or Etsy. When it comes to this kind of stuff, I feel like it falls into a slightly grayer area because because for me, Taddy Fresh is in particular like playing with a lot of nostalgic themes and then you do have to like borrow from historic stuff and that's what all fashion is. I mean, Dior showed some stuff a couple of years ago that looked, exa- you know, very, very similar to traditional Welsh dress. Are they plagiarizing Welsh culture? No, it's like it is the invention and, and reinvention and playing with, things from the past so I think there's probably a bit of leeway and I think they have probably a bit more leeway because they are a very sort of childlike nostalgic brand that there will be things thematically that will feel the same this this feels very black and white uh, in terms of just look from this old t-shirt to this one I don't know what the legalities of that would be but yeah I think this is actually kind of a tricky one to call and I agree I don't think that they are an unethical company that are expecting such high like design quotas from their designers that that they're just like struggling to to come up with anything original I think sometimes plagiarism can be more innocent than just straight up stealing if you're like a creative for a living your job is to absorb the world around you ingest it reimagine it and then like reproduce it like reparrot it and and reimagine and reinvent it so it may be that this has gone in, <laughs> this has gone into the brain box being processed and then it's come out and maybe they even think that they've done something original, but they don't even realize they've seen it before. I mean, that does happen, but I know it's quite gray. It's quite gray for me. 
maybe three times would be <laughs> would be like okay you need to really seriously look at your process well i think the iron well there's okay well there's two things one i think that this if it's the same designer or not the one that's already no longer with the company if these both of these ideas were put into production by them it seems very obvious that they were yeah. combing yeah certain yeah. places for inspiration and it's probably difficult to cross reference in a world full of you know, hundreds and thousands and millions of t-shirts being printed. It's difficult to cross-reference that. Where would you even go to begin to find out if someone else did the same design? But when it mm -hmm. comes down to piece by piece being copied, and when you include the fact that this is where I almost feel for like, no, I, I mean, I always, I, I, I like Ethan and Ela a lot. So I would even say that like, oh, you almost want to feel bad for them or like whatever. They, they, but in particular, Ethan went so hard on James Charles, which is fair. I mean, James is like reaches a much bigger audience than them. And a lot of people were unfamiliar with the color block hoodie they did. And while James's color block hoodie was pastel and color block hoodies were kind of the look of the year at that time, it's, it's like, it's one of those things that almost you regret – you're going to regret going that hard about something where there can be such a gray area mm -hmm. because eventually you're going to get caught in the same trap. And and this, what they ripped off is considerably more egregious than what James did, mm -hmm. where they took a vintage knitting pattern and reproduced it. Mm -hmm. Like – call a knitting pattern what it is, but it also is, you know, I mean, it's, it's much more difficult. It's a different level of skill to recreate a knitting pattern. And it's like a time and investment and it's a level of skill to create one as well and sell it. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little torn on this. Like there's something about it that really is not hitting right with me, especially because people are finding the duplicate you know, not the duplicate, the original so easily. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty damning, actually. Like, what are the odds someone just ran across this brown t-shirt with, like, Southwestern shit on it on Depop? Right. And noticed that Teddy Fresh was selling the exact same thing. I reckon I could probably go through the entirety of, like, Teddy Fresh back catalog and, and find, like, something comparable on like Etsy or Depop if I comparable, wanted to do that. Comparable and identical though, or like, you know, I mean, no, yeah, the Teddy Fresh right. stuff is, again, like, you know, and, but they were claiming this, you know, color block hoodie, which was sort of a, I mean, this is something you'd see other YouTubers in. It was a very popular item they had. Yeah. And so I understand why James, you know, why they could say like, we invented color block hoodies, which they didn't, but they could say that because like they made them trend again, I think. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this because I do. I love Ethan and Ela, and I'll, I, I think Teddy Fresh is a great brand. I love that it's like made in LA. I, I liked the idea that, you know, that it was like smaller designs. Like it was like designs that were really unique, which is like now their problem they're facing, but also that it's really high quality stuff. Like, you know, it, it, it costs like, you know, a hundred bucks for some stuff, but it's worth it when it comes like the quality of the fabric and the stitching and all of that is really great. So 
Yeah, it has a distinct identity beyond Hela and Ethan, right? Like you could enjoy if this if this is clothing that you'd like, then you don't necessarily have to be a fan of the pod. Unlike merch, which is just merch, this is like yeah. a legit thing. Yeah, and they're like in zoomies and stuff. I think now, like they're in major retailers all over the world at this point. So it's pretty big. Well, with that said, reach out to us and let us know what you think on today's stories. Be sure to check out the bonus links in the show notes because there's some stuff there for you guys, including a cursed comment from Reddit that I really enjoyed. Yeah, this was the best. Tiffany, please go feel better. Thank you. I'm about to go and lie down for a while. All right, you guys. All right, bell pepper heads. Have a good week and we'll talk (laughs) to you soon. Bye. Bye. Girls, I don't know you wanna be, but I ain't never seen a shawty that look like a double G. Every girl in here ten, but it ain't no Tennessee. And you might just get some money, but it ain't no guarantee. Double G's on the left, double G's on the right. And you know I stay in Texas, I don't really like to fight. Like we in 2013, shawty do it for the vine. Shawty moving real well, I might have to wind it down. Threw the money to the center, now watch it hit the floor. Now rag it up, huh? rack, rack, rack it up, king, bag it up, huh? Bag it up, can you stack it up? Stack, stack, stack it up. She said, Where you at? Sam Marcus down in Texas. And if I drop a pin, best believe that she on the Thought way. She was important, but I'm moving right about the I'm way. Delta cheese tonight. Told her, baby, I got cheese tonight. Get a scholarship. I ain't smoking on no TAC, low tolerance. All these ladies telling me I'm finna blow. Like they tell her, Shout out TurboTax, tax refund. What's another? Like the quarterback at recess. No rush. You gon' end up like a Call of Duty mission. No rush. This ain't UT, white shirt, orange like a Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods, and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.